if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, the beauty of the gospel is that God has saved us. He's freed us from the power and the penalty of sin. He's put us in Christ, who's now our life. So we've got to begin to surrender our lives. Say, our lives are yours, and we're your servants. It's not a radical version of Christianity. This is biblical Christianity. It's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We don't call the shots. He calls the shots. The Radical Together Podcast, with teaching from David Platt. What does the Word of God have to do with worship? When the Word is absent from our worship, our response is likely manufactured, and we begin to look elsewhere in order to elicit a response. Today, David Platt will help us see that worship involves a rhythm of revelation and response. The revelation of God in His Word elicits a response of faith, praise, and spiritual transformation among His people. Here's David with a sermon entitled, Clarity, from Psalm 19. Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, let's open them to Psalm chapter 19 and see His glory. We're going to be diving in today to a non-negotiable in corporate worship. We've been through three already. Let's do a little review, maybe even a little quiz to uh, see if you've been here in the last few weeks, all right? Three weeks ago, we dove into Nehemiah chapter 12, and we looked at the first non-negotiable in corporate worship, and it was... Okay, that was afraid of. That was what I was afraid of. Okay. It was community. We were looking at how we as our body of believers, we come together to worship in community, okay? Now, we're going to do a little quiz next week, okay? I'm, going to, I'm not going to hurt my self-esteem by trying to ask for the next two, okay? But next week, we'll dive back in. Just see if you can remember, all right? Community, first one, we're not just an individual uh, body believer, not just individuals coming into this room. We're a body of believers. We come together in corporate worship. Second, we looked at Revelation chapter 20, and we looked at humility, which basically we were talking about how worship is radically God-centered. Everything is centered around Him, and we humble ourselves before Him in corporate worship. Last week, we dove into John chapter 4, and we looked at Jesus' conversation, dialogue with the woman at the well. We talked about honesty. We talked about how worship requires that we be honest with God. So we've seen community, humility, honesty, and today we're going to look at clarity. And I've got to let you know from the start that this is probably the non-negotiable that we'll talk about in this series that I'm most passionate about. It's the non-negotiable that I've spent the last seven years of my own life studying and, and teaching. It's, I'm convinced, foundational for the other non-negotiables, the need for clarity from God's Word at the heart of our worship. Convinced is foundational and needs to be emphasized in the church today. I got two calls this last week, and not an uncommon thing, but two calls from friends who were in, in churches where one said Sunday after Sunday, sometimes the, the preacher doesn't even bring his Bible with him. And Sunday after Sunday, the word is minimized in lieu of witty stories and, and jokes and, and this or that that take precedent over the Word in worship. And they were talking about, these friends in ministry talking about how they just see people starving for the Word and want to see it at the center of our worship. I was preaching this last week down in New Orleans. I had somebody ask me down in New Orleans, David, why are you so passionate about God's Word in worship? If 
you ask for that question, you better be in ready for a long conversation. But ultimately, it comes down to this. If the Word is not central in our worship, then we are not worshiping. If the Word is not central in what we sing and what we pray and what we preach, if the Word is not the center, then we can't call what we're doing worshiping. Because it's the same as what anybody else might gather together to do when watching a movie or watching a performance or watching a show. It misses the whole point of worship if the Word is not clear. And so we must make sure that the Word is clear in our worship. And I want you to see that unfold. The foundational truth that we're going to see in God's Word this morning is this. Worship involves a rhythm of revelation and response. Worship involves a rhythm between two things, revelation and response. And I want you to see how that unfolds in Psalm chapter 19. This is an incredible psalm. C.S. Lewis said it was his favorite of all the psalms. He said that lyrically, the poetry in this is almost uncomparable to anything else in the world. It's just an incredible picture. And really, Psalm 19 is kind of a microcosm, a condensed version of Psalm chapter 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible, which gives us a clearer picture of God's Word. This is kind of the condensed version. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Psalm 19, and we're going to let that catapult us into Psalm 119. And I want us to see the importance, the significance of clarity in worship. Look at Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. Listen to this psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What I want us to see is a rhythm of revelation and response in this picture in Psalm chapter 119. We're going to split it up into those two categories. We'll start with Revelation. In Psalm 19, God reveals himself through two primary avenues. The psalm is talking about how God reveals himself, first of all, clearly through the world, that God uses the world to reveal his character. We see it from the very beginning. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. It's an incredible picture of nature just shouting about the goodness and greatness of God. And nature is continually shouting and shouting everywhere. The same 
picture we might see the Grand Canyon in Arizona or looking over the sunset or sunrise over the hills of Birmingham, wherever we are in the world, it is shouting the greatness of God. It's the same thing Romans 1 tells us. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. All across creation, we have a picture of Nature shouting of God's greatness. And the picture when you get about midway through verse 4, he really focuses not just on the skies but on the sun. What an incredible imagery. He talks about how the sun rises on one side like a, like a groom coming out ready for his bride and goes to the other like a champion running its course. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Don't miss the picture here. There is no place on this planet where God is not revealing his glory right now through creation all over the planet. The same sun that shines over Birmingham is the same, same sun that shines in the jungles of Sudan, the same sun that shines over China. All creation sees His power and His glory. The only problem is God's revelation through His creation is limited. God's revelation through His creation shows His nature, His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, Romans 1 says, but it's limited. And there's almost a play on words in the, the first half of Psalm 19 because it's talking about there's no, their voice goes out in the, all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. However, all of what nature does is visual. And ultimately, it's not enough to bring people to knowledge of the Redeemer, of the Lord, because you don't, you don't see in the mountains the good news that Jesus Christ died on a cross, rose from the grave, and ascended into heaven. The picture of Psalm 19 is a very missional picture all of creation is, is knowledgeable of the glory of God, and they need the Word for them to know how to come to God. And that's when you get to verse 7. There's a major shift. In verse 1, it had talked about the heavens declaring the glory of God, and the word there in the Hebrew poetry is El, which is, means just God, God Almighty, God in all of His power. But then when you get to verse 7, it says the law of the Lord is perfect. And then six different times it repeats itself. The statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, and the word there is Yahweh, which is the full revelation, not just of the power of God, but the love and the mercy of God as Redeemer in His people. So first, God reveals Himself clearly through the world, but second, He reveals Himself comprehensively through the word. So the word, there's a crescendo. It starts at verse, verse 7 and basically builds on the fact that Yes, creation gives us an incredible picture of the glory of God, but even greater, a more comprehensive picture is seen in the Word. And what we've got in the Word is a total picture of who God is. It is the total revelation of God. And what you see, starting in verse 7 all the way down to verse 11, which is really where we're going to camp out, is a list of attributes of God's Word and effects of God's Word in His revelation. You've got a list there in your notes. I want you just to think about it with me. We're going to run through these, but I want you to think about the claims the Word is making about itself. First of all, the Word is sufficient. From the very beginning, it says the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. And basically, that, that means not just without fault, which obviously the Bible is without fault. We believe that. We see that all over Scripture. But the picture here in, in perfection is that it's complete. It is comprehensive. It is total. There's nothing that God is wishing he would have included in addition to these 66 books. He hasn't hit the 21st century and thought, man, my church really could have used some help along this area. I wish I'd, I'd included book number 67. No, the word is complete. It is sufficient. It's all we need. 
This book is all we need to know God, to become like Christ. Over and over again, we see that in Scripture. It is sufficient. Second, the word is relevant. The next, next phrase, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. They're trustworthy. They're a rock. Now, David said this hundreds, thousands of years ago. Here we are in the 21st century studying this, and the claims the Bible is making about itself is that it's still trustworthy. It's still a rock. Sometimes we think, you know, you, you preachers, you, uh, you kind of look at things a little too simply. You always say that we should go to the Word. Well, maybe you don't understand all that I'm going through. I need a little more than the Word. Well, not to discount what, what we do in our advice to one another, our counsel to one another, but the Word is enough, and it is a rock that is applicable to all of our lives. And there's a real tendency in the church today to say that, the, that in preaching we need to, to spice up the Word. And we need to bring it to life. And we need to make it relevant. Ladies and gentlemen, my job week by week is not to make the Bible relevant. It is relevant. It's simply to show the relevance that is there and has been there for thousands of years and will be for thousands of years to come. His Word is a rock. In the 21st century, just like it was in the first century, it's a rock. It's trustworthy. The word is sufficient. It is relevant. Third, the word is good. The Bible says it is right. The precepts of the Lord are right. It's good. This is the word of God. God himself speaking to his people. God revealing himself to his people. This is why I would urge you to put down the magazines and to put down the novels and to get off the internet and to turn off the TV and get into the word. Why? Because, ladies and gentlemen, we are fools. If the God of the universe has spoken to us, the God who knows everything about you and me, knows you better than you know yourself, he knows your family, he knows where all of eternity is headed, he knows how culture, society works together, he knows what is best for all of us, he is wiser than even the wisest counselor we could get, he is more caring than the, the best counselor we could go to, he is good, and he has spoken to us. We're fools if we don't sit at his feet and listen. We're fools if we think that we need to come into worship and put something else at the center of what we're doing. The Word is good. It alone is good. The Word is sufficient, relevant, good. The Word is clear. It says the commands of the Lord, the authoritative decrees are radiant. They are clear. God's not left us to wander around in the spiritual vacuum wondering what's next or what do I do in my life. The Word is a lamp to my feet and a what? A light to my path. The Word is clear. We don't have to wander around in this fog wondering, what is God's will for my life? What do I do? God has given us His will. It's right here. We have 66 books that we know are the will of God for our lives. We study it. We memorize it. We digest it. We meditate on it because it's in studying His Word that it becomes clear what we need to do in our lives. The Word is clear. Next, the Word is holy. It's one of my favorite parts in verse 9. It says, the fear of the Lord is pure. And the word there that's used to describe the title that's used for the word is fear. The fear of the Lord is pure because the word is holy. And it incites reverence and respect and honor. It's why Psalm chapter 56 verse 4 and verse 10 both say that we praise the word of the Lord. The psalmist says we don't just praise the Lord, we praise the word of the Lord. God is equating himself there with his word. When you get into Psalm chapter 119, which we'll look at in a little bit, it talks about how our flesh trembles in, 
in awe of God's laws. It says how we love the law of God. Psalm chapter 138, verse 2, even says that God has exalted above all things his name and his word. His word is exalted as holy. And the word is sufficient, relevant, good, clear, holy. And finally, the word is true. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. The ordinances is a picture here of divine verdicts, judgments. They are true and just. We've seen that over the last couple of weeks. Now, those are the descriptions of the word in Psalm 19, 7 through 9. Six different titles and characteristics, attributes of God's word. But I want you to see that after each one of those attributes, what happens? It talks about how that attribute of the Word, how the Word affects us. And so we've got revelation. This is who God is. He's revealed Himself in sufficiency, relevancy. He is good. He is clear. He's holy. He's true in His Word. And then we see the response that comes after that. So I want you to go back with me. We've looked at the attributes. Now let's think about the response, the effects of God's revelation. It says in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. We've seen how it's sufficient. What does that mean? That means the Word transforms us. It says it revives our soul in verse 7. The Word transforms us. The Word literally means there refreshing, reviving, restoring. When you get to Psalm chapter 23, verse 3, it says the Lord restores my soul. And the soul here in, in Hebrew poetry, really throughout the Old Testament, is a picture of our whole being. And the Word, it says, the effects of the Word, when we get in the Word, it transforms our entire being to be who God has designed us to be. The whole purpose of the Word is to mold us into the image of Christ, to restore us into the image that God created us in. And so we'll never, ever be able to be transformed into His image if we're not diving into His Word week after week, day after day. The Word is the avenue through which God transforms us. Second, the Word makes us wise. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Wisdom is the application of God's Word to daily living. There's a popular trend in church today that says preachers need to give more practical advice, more psychological advice for how to deal with problems. We need more psychology on Sunday mornings. Well, not in any way to put down psychology. However, I want you to see that the Word alone is sufficient to make us wise to live the Christ-like life. The Word is enough for that. It makes us wise. It claims to make us wise. We need to get in the Word because it makes us wise. Third, the Word satisfies us. It says the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The word is our satisfaction. He expands on that down in verse 10. More precious than gold, than much pure gold, sweeter than honey, honey from the comb. The word satisfies us like money never could. And the word satisfies us like food never could. We eat on a pretty regular basis. A few times a day we eat. We sit in Sunday morning worship thinking about what we're going to eat. What if we we lived on the Word like that? What if it was our sustenance that we needed for our souls on a daily basis? That's what he's saying. It satisfies them more than the best food, more than the best porterhouse steak you can imagine. The Word fills my soul. And it's more important than money. You know, one of the tempting things to do when you hear children quote Scripture like they did, 
One of the tempting things is for you to sit where you are, me to sit where I am and say, I, I, I just can't memorize like that. I can't memorize Scripture. I wish I could, but I can't. And while I certainly realize that there are different capacities or abilities to memorize across this room, no question, I'm convinced that every single one of us in this room can memorize Scripture, can hide it in our heart. Let me ask you a question, especially if you're thinking, I can't memorize Scripture. What if I told you that between now and the end of the day today, I would give you $1,000 for every verse you could memorize? How many of you could learn to memorize? <laughs> Jesus wept, John eleven thirty-five, $1,000, just, just like that. It's that easy. You can, you can do it. Well, of course, I, we could memorize at least a couple of verses between now and the end of the day. God, help us to be a people who care more about the value of his word than the value of money. God, deliver us from the materialism that has us so consumed with money that we have no desire and longing for the Word of God. The question is not can we memorize. The question is, is it valuable to us? Is it valuable to us? Does it satisfy our souls? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's our food. It is our sustenance. The word satisfies us. Next, the word enlightens us. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes and the darkness and confusion this life brings. The word is our light. Next, the word awes us. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The eternal nature of the word of God brings us to a point of awe. You remember Nehemiah chapter 8? I don't know if you were here a little over a year ago. We looked at Nehemiah chapter 8, and we saw a service of corporate worship. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, what happens is they bring out the book. One person stands up, opens up the book, and immediately everybody stands up all across the place. They start lifting their hands. They start shouting out, amen, amen. Then they bow down with their faces to the ground, all because Ezra opened the book. What an amazing scene. When you compare it especially with our, our picture of worship, when do, we, when do we stand or raise our hands or shout out, maybe if we're really extreme, fall down with our faces to the ground? We do that in response to what? To music. You hit the right chord. Everybody stands and lift our hands. And is that a good thing? Yes, absolutely that's a good thing. But what would happen if we responded to the Word of God like that? What if it didn't take a chord? What if it didn't take the right song or the right emotion that is welled up by that particular song to cause us to rise in awe and reverence for God and His Word? What if all it took was the Word to do that? The Word awes us. Finally, the Word makes us righteous. The ordinances of the Lord are sure, and they are altogether righteous. The rest of this passage talks about how our sin is exposed in the Word. And we see our need for him to make us righteous. And we see our need for a redeemer to come and make us righteous. The whole picture is pointing to Christ, the word made flesh who makes us righteous. So that's the picture. You see revelation and response. Do you see it? Six phrases in a row. The law of the Lord is perfect. There's revelation. Perfect law of the Lord. What does that mean? We respond and it transforms our souls. Then you get to the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are, are perfect. They're complete. They're relevant. 
and they make us wise. So you've got revelation. The word is sufficient, relevant, good, clear, holy, and true. You've got the response. It transforms us. It makes us wise. It satisfies us, enlightens us, awes us, and the word makes us righteous. Now, let's take this picture of Psalm 19 and fast forward a couple of thousand years from when it's written to worship in the church today. Worship involves a rhythm of revelation and response. God reveals himself to us, and we respond in worship. There is a very common trend, popular trend, across the church landscape today to minimize the word in worship. And we've created a situation where we can put words up on a screen and begin to sing those without giving second thought to the biblical or theological foundation of those words. When we sing those, maybe or maybe not the word being present in them, and then when we stand up to preach or to listen to God's word, it's very common to read a couple of verses and then go on talking about this or that, opinions, thoughts, every once in a while maybe come back to God's Word, but not really being saturated in God's Word. And what we've done is we've undercut the first part of this picture, Revelation. Now, here's the question we've got to ask. If we take Revelation and the primacy of God's Revelation out of our worship, then what are we going to respond to? The only thing that's left to respond to is is ourselves and our own thoughts and our own opinions and don't miss it. We will, we will talk about God in our worship. And we will sing about God in our worship. But if our foundation is not in his word, then we will gradually create a God who is who we want him to be. A God who looks a lot like us and thinks a lot like us and who fits into our patterns for living. A God who really looks a lot like us. And the danger is If that's what we're creating, then when we come in and we sing, even when we come in and listen to a sermon, if that's the picture of God, then we walk away, and the only thing we've done is worship ourselves, not our God. And all of a sudden, our worship has become self-centered, hollow, and I'm convinced ultimately offensive to God. We cannot have response apart from revelation. That's why I said if the word is not central in worship, then we are not worshiping. What happens is when the word is absent in our worship, then our response is manufactured. And don't miss the danger here. We can play the right songs, have the right dramas, say the right things, and create the right emotions in the crowds. We can do that. But our response will be manufactured and the result will ultimately be pleasing to self. However, when the word is apparent in our worship, when it is at the center of our worship, our response will be authentic, not manufactured. Here's the beauty of what God's word is showing us here. When we focus on his revelation and when it is supreme and primary in our worship, it will do the work for us. We don't have to spice it up. We don't have to make something happen. God's revelation makes things happen. We find ourselves immersed in God's word. His word overtakes us. That's when true response really begins to take hold in our worship. I was in 
New Orleans, I mentioned this last week, and maybe you saw in the news that New Orleans had some, some flooding on Friday. You, New Orleans is such a unique city. If it rains hard, there is nowhere for that water to go except for up. And so me and a buddy of mine were driving down the street and it started pouring down rain. And it was, it, it was not raining when we got in the car. By the time we got to his neighborhood where we were trying to get into, it had poured down so much rain. Gradually the water had come up around us, and it was up on the tires at this point. We're driving through what feels like a river. All these cars are pulling over to the side, and we're thinking, maybe we can make it home. Maybe we can make it home. And we come, we're driving, all these waves are being created as we drive, and we're about to take a left onto his street. And the tricky thing about driving to New Orleans in a situation like this is you don't, you can't tell how deep the water is at different points. The roads just are, are not the most solid straight roads in the world, and so you never know when it's going to go deeper. So we're about to take a left on his street. His street's not looking good at all, but we don't know exactly how deep it is. There's a couple cars in front of us, and so we start thinking it'd be really nice if one of these cars would turn down that road. <laughs> kind of give us a hint to how, how it is. And uh, thankfully, uh, for us, not for this particular guy, he was in a conversion van, and he decides to take a left on this road. And so he turns down the street, and he gets about 10, 15 feet down the street, and all of a sudden, that car just dips down because there's a dip in the road. And his car is now surrounded by water, and it stops, and it's stuck in the middle of the street. So we decide, we're not going to go down that street. <laughs> and we pull up onto the median right there and just decide we're going to sit and wait this thing out. And it's still pouring down rain. This guy is having to crawl out of his window, out of his vehicle, and wade through the water to get over to the side until something goes into somebody's house, until something can happen. Here, this car is just immersed in this water. And as I was, as I was looking over this text this morning, I couldn't help but to think, God, I pray that you would make us the kind of family, faith family that just gets stuck in your word week after week after week, that it overwhelms us. And we, we walk through the word, and we never know where it's going to get really deep at the church at Brook Hills because his word is driving us deeper, and it's overtaking us. Not in the sense that we can't ever get out and it ruins our car, but in the sense that we are overtaken by the word because it's then that the depth of our worship is going to become a reality. And it's not going to be this hollow manufactured thing that we do week in and week out. The Word is what draws us deeper in Christ. And the response flows from that. Our response will be authentic, and the result, don't miss it, will ultimately be, ultimately be pleasing to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Here's the crux of the matter. Acceptable worship in God's eyes, is not possible apart from His Word. He has designed it so that His revelation is necessary to transform us, make us wise, satisfy us, enlighten us, awe us, and make us righteous. So why would we want to leave it out of our worship? If this is true, if Psalm 19 is true, then we've got to put the Word at the center of everything we do. And what we sing must be grounded in the Word. And what we pray must be grounded in the Word. And whatever comes out of this preacher's mouth must be grounded in the Word. Because we want to be transformed. We want to be wise. We want to be satisfied in God. We want to be enlightened. We want to be awed. We want to be righteous. And therefore, the Word is central. And when that happens, the result is pleasing to God. Worship is our response to divine truth revealed. 
So the question, foundationally, that we've got to ask as a faith family, week after week, day after day, in our lives is this. Will we ignore the word in our worship or will we let the word ignite our worship? Will we ignore it or will we let the word ignite our worship? And with that question, I want to invite you to turn me over to Psalm chapter 119. I have mentioned that Psalm 19 is a a condensed version of Psalm 119. And what you've got when you get to Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible, and it is divided into different sections, each according to the, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And what I want you to do this morning is I want you to see in Psalm chapter 119 the heart of a psalmist who longs for God's Word, who has the Word at the center of his life, the center of the community of faith, and see the effects of that. Because over and over and over again, Psalm 119 gives a picture of the beauty of God's commands and His precepts and His statutes, exactly what we've seen in Psalm 19, highlighted. And my prayer is that as we see Psalm 119, God would make us a people that are awed by God and His Word. That we stand in awe of His Word and we say as a faith family that His Word will be enough for us. And we're going to trust it to be what it promises to be and to do what it promises to do. We're going to make sure that clarity in the Word is at the center of our worship, and that's going to be enough to ignite us in response to Him. God, make us a church that stands in awe of His Word. Psalm 119 starts off with Olive. It says, Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in His ways. You've laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. All that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees, and I will not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Bait, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in your statutes like one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Gimel, do good to your servant and I will live. I will obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. You rebuke the arrogant who are cursed and who stray from your commands. Remove from me scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. The rulers sit together and slander me. Your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Dalit, I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I recounted my ways and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Let me understand the teaching of your precepts. Then I will meditate on your wonders. My soul, my soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, O Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. 
Hey, teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness. Vav, may your unfailing love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I will answer the one who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Do not snatch the word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your law. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame, for I delight in your commands because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands, and I meditate on your decrees. Zion, remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. The arrogant mock me without restraint, but I do not turn from your law. I remember your ancient laws, O Lord, and I find comfort in them. Indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. Your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. In the night, I remember your name, O Lord, and I will keep your law. This has been my practice. I obey your precepts. Hey, you're my portion, O Lord. I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I have considered my ways and have turned my steps toward your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. I'm a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. The earth is filled with your love, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. Take, do good to your servant according to your word, O Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I believe in your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. The arrogant, though the arrogant smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. You owed your hands, made me, informed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. I know, O Lord, that your laws are righteous, and in faithfulness you afflicted me. May your unfailing love be my comfort according to your promise to your servant. Let your compassion come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. May the arrogant be put to shame for wronging me without cause, but I will meditate on your precepts. May those who fear you turn to me, those who understand your statutes, and may my heart be blameless toward your decrees that I may not be put to shame. Cough, my soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. My eyes fail, looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? The arrogant, the pitfalls from me, contrary to your law. All your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for men persecute me without cause. They almost wipe me from the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. Preserve my life according to your love, and I will obey the statutes of your mouth. Lamed, your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts for by them you have preserved my life. Save me for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. 
The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes to all perfection. I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. That's why I say in Mame, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I've kept my feet from every evil path so that I will obey your word. I'm not departed from your law, for you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Noon, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it. I will follow your righteous laws. I've suffered much. I've suffered much. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, O Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your laws. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Samach, I hate double-minded men, but I love your law. You are my refuge and my shield, and I have put my hope in your word. Away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of God. Sustain me according to your promise, and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. Uphold me, and I will be delivered. I will always have regard for your decrees. Uphold me, and I will be delivered. For that, You reject all who stray from your decrees, for their deceitfulness is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, my flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. I and I have done what is righteous and just. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Ensure your servants well being. Let not the arrogant oppress me. I, my eyes fail, longing for your salvation, looking for your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your love and teach me discernment. I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. It is time for you to act, O Lord. Your law is being broken because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold, and because I consider all your precepts right. I hate every wrong path. Pay, your statutes are wonderful. Therefore, I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and I pant, longing for your commands. Turn to me and have mercy on me as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from the oppression of men so that I may obey your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your decrees. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. Sade, righteous are you, Lord, and your laws are right. The statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. My zeal wears me out, for my enemies ignore your words. Your promises have been thoroughly tested, and your servant loves them. Though I am lowly and despised, I do not forget your laws. Your righteousness is everlasting. Your law is true. Trouble and distress have come upon me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your, your statutes are my heritage forever. They're the joy of my heart. Cough. I call with all my heart. Answer me, O Lord, and I will obey your decrees. I call out to you. Save me, and I will keep your statutes. I rise before dawn and cry for help, for I have put my hope in your word. My eyes stay open to the watches of the night so that I may meditate on your promises. Hear my voice in accordance with your love. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your laws. Those who devise wicked schemes are near, but they are far from your law. Yet you are near, O Lord, and all your commands are true. Long ago I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. Raish, look upon my suffering and deliver me, for I have not forgotten your, cause, your law. Defend my cause and redeem me. Preserve my life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek out your decrees. Yet your compassion is great, O Lord. Preserve my life according to your laws. Those who devise wicked schemes are near. Many of the foes who persecute me 
but I have not turned from your statutes. I look on the faithless with loathing, for they do not obey your word. See how I love your precepts. Preserve my life according to your love. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Seen and sheen, rulers persecute me without cause. But I don't tremble at them. My heart trembles at your word. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I've loved your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. I wait for your salvation, O Lord, and I long for your commands. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. Tav, and may this be the cry of the church today. May our cry come before you, O Lord. Give us understanding according to your word. May our supplication come before you. Deliver us according to your promise. May our lips overflow with praise, for you teach us your decrees. May our tongues sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. And may your hand be ready to help us, for we say that we have chosen your precepts. We long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law will be our delight. Let us live so that we may praise you, and may your laws be our sustenance. We have strayed like lost sheep. God, forgive us. We have strayed in our day from your word like lost sheep. Seek your servants, we pray. Seek your servants, for we say today that we have not and we will not forget your commands. God, help us. God, help us to see that the word is good. That it is true, it is sufficient, it is eternal, it is enough for our worship, and it incites our worship. God, overflow us as a church with your word, and let it propel us into worship to sing of your greatness. God, make us a people that tremble at his voice and sing of his greatness. If the word is not central in our worship, then we are not worshiping. We hope you've been both challenged and encouraged by this word from Psalm 19. We are grateful for the partnership with our good friends Keith and Kristen Getty to give away free gospel-rich worship music and resources. As their gift to you, you can download a free song each week of the Awaken series by visiting Radical.net forward slash Awaken. Also check out their latest album, Facing a Task Unfinished. It's an urgent call propelling families and churches to global witness. You can find the album on iTunes or by visiting gettymusic.com. What's the difference between the culture's view of diversity and the Bible's view? And what does that have to do with worship? Next week, David Platt will conclude the Awakened series in the book of Revelation with a sermon entitled Diversity. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. We'll see you next week.